0: You're listening to the Behaviour Change Marketing Bootcamp Podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Dale, and together we'll explore how behavioural science and social marketing and design thinking can be used to communicate, change and influence behaviour. Every week we chat with the experts. That's the practitioners, the academics and the book writers. And we share three aha moments to help you increase your impact and set your comms and marketing on fire. I'm sending lots of love on this episode to everyone. If you're listening from abroad here in England, our Queen Elizabeth has died. So just sending lots of love to everyone who this may have brought up bad memories for. If you're recently grieving or not even recently, but also everyone in comms is probably working really hard again. And so sending you much love. But if it is evergreen and you're listening a year from today, then welcome, hello, and I really hope you're having a great day. Now, what is this episode all about? Well, we're taking a different approach. Um, We're going to have some fun and it's called the 10 of 10, as in 10 out of 10. We are rebirthing FAQs. We are rebirthing the top questions we're asked basically during our bootcamp trainings. And on our DMs, we get a lot of Twitter DMs with questions and in our emails. And they're very, very common. They're quite similar, as I'm sure you're not surprised. But we wanted to have some fun. And does anyone in England remember Just 17? So we do have some international listeners. So hello, Just 17 is a teenager magazine, and there was a problem page in it. Now, every teenage girl I knew and I'm not telling you my age, but nearing fifty, <clears throat> so would rush every week to get just 17 and open it up to the problem page because it asked the questions we really wanted to know the answer to, but were simply too embarrassed to ask. And there's also the Sun newspaper, which had a really famous columnist called Dear Deirdre, and she would have the most incredible problems in there, and definitely loved those pages. And then more recently, on our radio too, we had Graham Norton do problems. People could write in with their relationship problems and he would put it out to listeners and give sometimes some shocking advice, to be honest. (laughs) So we are a nation of problem lovers. So we thought, hey, why not read out our questions, our top 10 questions in the form of a problem page, but also encourage you, the listener, to write in, please. Please write in and send us your problem and we will try and answer it. And we will also publish it to see get advice from other experts out there because there's so many wonderful minds this is a fantastic community and there's so much expertise so please if you are interested in joining our problem page you can be anonymous it's fine but you don't have to be or even come on the podcast and read out your problem please email us at bootcamp at socialinsightmarketing.co.uk Okay, so that's bootcamp at socialinsightmarketing.co.uk with your behaviour change marketing problem. But to get us started, we have chosen the top 10 because Bootcamp's been running for two years now. Can you believe it? So, and this is a bit weird, but this is so it says, Dear Ruth, what is the biggest mistake when planning behaviour change marketing? So it's a nice, easy one to start with. And yes, that did feel weird saying Dear Ruth, but this is oh, this is probably how, how do I not drone on on this one? It's so easy, but also very hard because it's, it's all about understanding your audience. So the biggest mistake when planning behaviour change marketing that I see, and I have been doing this for almost 20 years and I have worked at Public Health England, local authority, the NHS, you name it, I've done it, is not having a goal. It's really simple. There are so many projects and campaigns and interventions that start without behaviour change goals. Now, this is a really good example of where more knowledge simply does not help you. Okay. Learning and getting good is not about more knowledge all the time. Because I know for a fact that everyone that comes into our boot camp training, everyone surely knows that you should start with a SMART goal. It's in every project brief. If you download a campaign planning tool or a cheat sheet or anything, it's all on there for you. Number one, even not, it doesn't even have to be marketing. It can be project plan, smart goal. But for behavior change, it is a little bit different. As in we want a behavior change goal. And yes, it needs to be measurable. So why do we not have them? How do we get to the point where we're not using one? Well, Sometimes it's confusion between thinking a policy goal is a behaviour change goal. So things like quitting smoking, a reduction in childhood obesity, quite high level, nice goals. They're nice. They're nice. We could perhaps call them aims. The policy aims actually stay the goal for the campaign or the project or intervention. And that's normally down to time pressure and just lack of headspace to actually explore exactly what is needed. I will never forget the day when I was asked, called in to the public health consultant's office and said, can you run a behaviour change marketing campaign on antimicrobial resistance, please? Hmm. Pause. Hmm. One of the biggest global health challenges out there. Let me see. Can I run a behaviour change? Oh, yes. No money. Ah, Very, very, very keen team of clinicians, though, with lots of ideas. Uh, Not much money. A little bit, actually, but not much. Antimicrobial resistance. Hmm, I couldn't say it at the time. I can say it now. And actually, that turned into a winning, award-winning campaign called Listen to Your Gut. And we segmented and targeted and segmented again and targeted again. And it became all about skilling up parents after the birth of their child because the insight showed that there was simply no support or understanding on how to manage common viruses and colds. Loads of antenatal care, but no basic support on what to do when that child hasn't slept for three months. And yes, it's got another runny nose or what to do when you put your child in childcare nursery for the first time after six months, nine months or a year. And yes, they will catch everything in the nursery. And yes, you have just gone back to work. And yes, oh my God, you need to ask for more time off because your child will not be taken by the nursery. (laughs) So these basic skills around understanding what viruses are and understanding, you know, being able to risk assess your child, having the confidence to know what you can do and when you need to seek GPs. And then also skilling up the GPs and giving confidence to the GPs to giving them something to give to parents that's not an antibiotic. So we worked with Public Health England and there was a prescription pad and that went national, which was exciting. When we were using it down in Devon, it was just us and a few others as they trialled it and tested it. And that was the brainchild of Professor Clauda McNulty. But our insight took us way, way, way around antimicrobial resistance That was the policy goal. It wasn't in any of our comms, certainly wasn't in any of the videos or. And the mums didn't care about prescription rates. GPs did. Well, they said they did, but let's face it, they kept on giving them out because the pressure was too big. The reasons why they kept on prescribing were not because they didn't know not to. So, again, another example where just simply knowledge and telling people your policy goals just doesn't work. It's not a behavior change marketing goal. So, number one, confusion. Just what is a behaviour change goal? But then two is actually you don't have the time or headspace to understand what your desired behaviour is. So the pressure to deliver often means the insight part is skipped. Skip this at your peril. You will not be able to establish a behaviour change goal if you do not understand your audience. And quite frankly, you don't even know what behaviours they want to do. In our bootcamp training, we talk about bridges a lot. The problem behavior is A and the desired behavior is B. And it's our job as behavior change marketers to build a bridge from A to B. But it is our audience's job to walk over that bridge. And there's many different ways to get to A to B. So understanding our audience, understanding their barriers and the reasons why they do what they do is the first step. And that is sometimes where we got stuck and we've got really good at it. And there's uh, tools like Combi and diagnosis tools and public health are amazing at generating intelligence. And, you know, we do run focus groups. We do do community engagement, but we get stuck in the problem and there's not enough focus on the solution. Where are we trying to take people? That is the behavior change goal. So when running a behavior change marketing, Your whole focus, your whole shift is on the desired behaviour. Now, our whole public health system, our whole public sector system, NHS, local government is set up to capture the data around the problem. So getting the actual data around the new behaviours actually is quite hard. So there's a reason why, you know, we can backtrack from it very quickly and scuffle back to our nice policy aim that, quite frankly, everyone is in agreement with anyway. So we can just go under the radar and keep going along with that one. But what happens when we do that is we end up with awareness messaging or nanny state messaging. So not having our goal is a symptom of us not actually knowing what behaviours we are asking our audience to do. So an example I'm going to give you of success. Success is the change for life program. Now I was working on childhood obesity just before the social marketing, national childhood obesity social marketing strategy came out way back when, it was over a decade ago. And I remember there was this big kerfuffle because they were so close to publishing the national policy for childhood obesity. Everyone was waiting for it and it got pulled back. And then there was loads of rethinking consultations. And suddenly this social marketing approach came in and change for life was born. I was in heaven because by taking a social marketing approach, they were taking a holistic bird's eye view of the reasons why children become obese taking the pressure off the individual and looking at things as community, exploring the interdependencies in our society, understanding not just people as individuals, understanding people as parents, understanding people who go drive to work, understanding people and their roles in their wider lives and understanding what the environment means and what legislation means, you know, all these different factors. And that's what public health does which is why public health is not in the NHS now. Because public health can be focused on all of these interdependencies that are so powerful. So when Change for Life was born, for me it was a joy because we started focusing in on actual behaviour change. So we were shifted from the five-a-day, which is brilliant, but we shifted into messages such as the swap, asking parents to swap the sugary snack after school To the healthy one. And then it went a step further. It started equipping and skilling up parents at the point of purchase so they could make the swaps in supermarkets, make the swaps as part of their daily habits. And that is still happening. And the new apps are amazing that they've really started to equip and skill up parents at the point of the behavior because the behavior is about the swap. So as a parent, I can share with you someone who worked on change for life, but also understanding that, you know, this is really about changing our daily habits, understanding that we had to understand the pressure of the parent to just give that sugary treat, you know, watching your child smile at the end of the day. It's it become a norm avoiding the meltdown in the playground in front of all the other parents. For me personally, that was one thing. But also I remember it being in a change for life planning meeting at Public Health England and I was thinking, oh my God, I've forgotten the cake sale. And so sugary treats are so much part of the social norm and cake sales happen every term and my child did not have their pound for the cake sale. Oh no. So not only did I have the parental guilt that I was not picking my child up from school. I now had this vision of them in my head being the only child without a cake, tearful in the corner of the playground, no mummy to help them. So there I am in the change for life planning meeting, texting my friend going, please, can you give my child a pound if they come out? Blah, 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 blah. So change for life actually allowed the insight to determine the shape of the marketing and to set the goals which is why it is so powerful. So why other public health policies will be working with town planners and licensing colleagues to make sure that takeaway shops didn't open opposite primary schools, which, by the way, they will always try and do. And other things like the environment, the healthy schools, trying to make sure that children have the healthy choice in front of them as an option, trying to make it as easy as possible to make all these healthy choices the easy choice the natural choice, the first choice. So while all of that was going on, Change for Life was running national campaigns and working in this sort of digital arena to really support parents and focus in on an actual measurable behaviour change goal, such as swapping. And you can see from a marketing perspective, by focusing in on an actual goal that is about a behaviour It took the marketing away from posters and leaflets in GP surgeries, posters and leaflets to a digital product that is used at the point of purchase. It brings in different stakeholders, such as supermarkets. And it takes away this kind of just general nanny state feeling of telling us what we should be doing when we already know we should be doing it. And let's face it, most of us think, oh gosh, I'm never doing enough most days anyway. So, There's so many reasons why we don't have a behavior change goal and I know it is down to time pressure and the pressure to deliver. Often it's a lack of budget and it's never down to a willingness not to understand your audience but it is the singular biggest mistake because it will kill your creativity. It will push your work into potentially just an awareness campaign but most importantly if you are not measuring it you should not do it. Because if you are not measuring it, you do not know that you are not widening health inequalities. Words are powerful. You must know the impact of your words on your audience. Otherwise, you can't know that you're not pushing them towards the next or a different behaviour. But that is going to be the next week's where we look at negative social norms, which is the second biggest mistake. So I hope this was of use. I talk about this a lot But please, if you are planning a behaviour change goal, take time to understand your audience and set your goal. It will make all the difference. Thank you so much for listening. We're so delighted you joined us. And if you got any value out of this at all, or even if you just simply had a little chuckle, please do share it with anyone you think it may benefit. And please, if you do leave a review, oh my gosh, we would be forever in your debt. The algorithms on podcasts are pretty tough and reviews do make all the difference. So please do head over onto your platform and leave us one. And also, if you need to know anything about our latest training or you just want to get in touch, head over to our website, which is www.socialinsightmarketing.co.uk forward slash bootcamp.